0: Another point on the board, another clean sheet and another nil-nil for Norwich City, but this one was much more interesting and entertaining than it was at Burnley last weekend. Welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, reviewing a nil-nil draw with Brighton that had Carrow Road producing a very good atmosphere at points. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell coming to you also in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM and yeah pad uh, I-, I described it in my video verdict as the Burnley nil nil was more of a championship game but to me I thought this felt much more like a Premier League encounter
1: Agreed, yeah and um, it's ha- it's almost you have to tr- if you- if you want to treat this game in isolation then they played a team who won 4 in 7 in the league this season you know I think there was because I was sat in the front of the press box at Carr Road next to the Brighton media team, I think they had a chance possibly to go top today uh, Mm. if the fixtures of uh, results had gone for them. So that's the level of opponent. And really, Norwich, yes, Brighton had some chances. We'll get into in more depth. But uh, Norwich had notably one big chance, but there's plenty of other good opportunities to have got the win. And in the context of that, treated in isolation, you'd say, yeah, very good, Norwich. Maintain that and you won't go too far wrong in terms of trying to achieve what you're trying to achieve. But I think underlying the undercurrent and there was a little bit of dissatisfaction at the final whistle by one or two pockets of fans in the home areas. And and for me, that's probably more a reflection of it's not in isolation. It's, it's after seven previous games where they've only took one point from seven. That was the last one against Burnley prior to the international break. And they're almost playing catch-up. And in that context, probably goalless draws isn't going to be anywhere near good enough. And of course, the goalless element of it is continuing. And that's two goals, two league goals in eight Premier League games. And one of those was a penalty. And both of those were scored by Timu Puki. That's a productivity level which unfortunately will lead on back to the Championship. So for me, that was it. It was almost a, on one level commendable commendable and, and lots of positive facets and, and it did feel like it had built on again from Burnley in terms of what they added in, in the attacking dimension albeit with the same outcome i.e. You no know, goals but but set against where they are now and we said about it after the final whistle even now you look at the league table and there's one or two worrying gaps beginning to emerge between Norwich and the majority of the clubs above them and you know that those gaps get any bigger then it's very hard to try and reel teams back in so Yeah, it's mixed emotions I think today for me watching that game because there's not huge amounts you could fault Norwich for but ultimately it's another game that slips by without a win and without any goals and that isn't good enough.
0: No, and we will of course be talking about Josh Sargent, he, and we'll all be trying to actually say that name because <laughs> it seems to trip people up. The Josh Sargent, you have to sort of separate the two, don't you, when you're trying to pronounce it correctly. But unfortunately, a, a little bit of a nightmare for him. But but Connor overall, uh, this game. Uh, I mean, the atmosphere, the second half, and you know there was that moment in injury time, wasn't it, where Daniel Farker was actually whipping up the crowd a bit, and it felt like. Uh, they were really behind the team and, and a lot of what they saw today, of course, everyone wanted the win, they wanted the goal, but it felt like most people in that stadium were, were on board with what they were trying to do today.
2: Yeah, and I would say that was the same, certainly after the game at Burnley as well, for, for those who travelled. I think you, you probably saw a split of people who understood what the, the Burnley game was about, were there, understood the situation, how difficult it was for Norwich City in that environment to come away with a clean sheet and a point. And it, it did feel the same. Again today, and, and I guess what Pad has said there about the ending and how he had some pockets of fans that maybe weren't particularly happy with, with the outcome um, is right. And, and, and I'm the same, really. I feel I feel a bit conflicted because you, you look at that, if you zoom out and just look at that or zoom in and look at that game in, in isolation, you see a point against a very good Brighton side, um, not one that I think will be, will be challenging for Europe by any stretch, but probably one that will finish in the top half. Um, but equally, as Pad said, you have to think if they can't win a game in that situation, when are they going to win a game in the Premier League? Because they're going to get a few better opportunities than than that one today. And to me, it almost felt you could have plonked it in the middle of, of that December two years ago when they had these games that were almost lined up for them to to get points out of and get wins out of and, and they didn't do it. And it, it, that is the concerning element, but look at it in isolation. and. It's another clean sheet. I felt they looked pretty solid throughout beyond Trossard's shot in the first half, which was outrageous. Small pace chance at the end. Um, I know, obviously, Lalana's volley. Beyond that, Brighton didn't really trouble Tim Crawl too much. Um, uh, and you'd probably say Norwich had the better chances. So, definitely a step in the right direction. Um, uh, Daniel Varker spoke in his pre-match press conference about small steps, and it was another small step. But at some point, they're going to have to start beginning to run or trying to run because... If not, uh, and obviously it's a, a trip to Stamford Bridge and Chelsea next weekend, Leeds are currently um, four points above them in 17th. I don't particularly like looking at the league table at this stage, but there, there's a situation that we could be talking about a seven, but we won't be, but there could be a chance that we're talking about a seven-point gap next weekend. And um, even at this stage of the season, that's that's not a good position to be in. So, yeah, I'm I'm quite conflicted by it. And, and I would imagine probably fans will go home and feel quite conflicted as well because it was a much improved performance, but equally, they didn't get the result they probably wanted and and that some will feel they probably deserved.
0: Yes, it's uh, not an easy situation and it's not easy to keep asking people to look for positives. People, obviously, this is football's a simple game at the end of the day. you You can get into all the complicated elements of it if you really want to, but at the end of the day, people just want wins and they want goals and some people don't want to dig much deeper than that, do they? And if they don't get that, then they're not happy. Um, but there's there's a huge amount of context around all of it and, and clearly that's the sort of thing that that, that we often are providing for people. Um, I think we should just do it straight away, Pad, really, get straight into the Josh Sargent issue because he's the man that most people are talking about walking away from there. Now, he's arrived at the club in... You know, a difficult situation, really. Him and Rashitsa were both relegated with Werder Bremen, weren't they? But he's turned up with a, a, bit, of, a bit of a reputation for um, certainly his all-round game being very good, but not particularly great record in front of goal. Um, but this was one of those moments where you just want the ground to open up and, and swallow you, don't you? And, and And you felt for the lad, you really did, just before half-time. It's handed to him on a plate Sanchez takes out burn, I think it is and and he's got an open goal there and the instant he, he struck the ball, you knew he'd made a mess of it didn't you and it it was just excruciating
1: yeah it was definitely he was agonizingly in slow motion um, and it, it watched him it, I purposely made a point of and as soon as the brighton players cleared it for a corner he just put his head in his hands and it's kind of what have I done and we're recording here about a couple of hours after the game and I'm not sure we'll get too much sleep tonight because he'll be replaying that over and over. What a moment in the context of the game, in context of Norwich's season, but also that man's career, you know, two goals or so two goals it was two goals, wasn't it, against Brighton but uh, sorry, Bournemouth in the League Cup. Yeah. Um but yet to open his Premier League account and for certainly an American player as well, the Premier League and the allure of that and the exposure, you know. What a trajectory that could have set him on if he'd got off the mark and, and um, you know, you're a fully-fledged Premier League goalscorer, uh, still a relatively young man, but the fill-up he would have got from that because, as Daniel said, when inevitably he was asked multiple times post-match, a lot of it may be symptomatic to what we've just discussed about Norwich. A lot of what he did was, was good, was very good, in fact. You know, his general play, the way he battled three quite muscular Brighton central defenders and positive signs of a... A real link up with Timu, not just you know two lads who, who run about and, and and sweat and toil, but but actually signs I felt of possible some genuine productivity. There was one or two prior to that big chance towards the end of the first half where there was one he made a run into the channel, sergeant. He rolled a defender and um, shot on target. He was just deflected, I think, for a corner, and um, you know ultimately. I just hope that doesn't define him at Norwich and, and it might be a bit premature to say that on the, on the basis of, you know, however many handful of Premier League appearances he's had, but you just hope that um, he's the sort of character that he can brush that off and process it and deal with it and move on because um, you know, they're they're the sort of moments on which potentially, you know, you can go one or two ways in a Norwich shirt and uh, it would be a shame. But but unfortunately what'll happen is now and you alluded to it, Dave, you know, he he came with a reputation is not a prolific goal scorer. If you look at his Bundesliga record, um, and the longer he goes without scoring now in an orange shirt in the league, those questions and accusations will continue to grow. and And if he doesn't start to score soon, it will be very hard for Daniel, despite all the positive elements of his general play, um, to keep him in the side because there'll be a clamour to get him out and get Rashita down the middle or Jolis or maybe Adamida, um, all lads who are really having very minimal amounts of first-team involvement at the minute. He isn't. He's starting games now regularly with Timu. And ultimately, what it boils down to is what we all say with strikers. doesn't really matter what they actually do outside the box. They will be judged ultimately on their goals. And whereas Timu Pukki's record over the entirety of his Norwich career is phenomenal almost, his goals-to-games ratio. Um, Yet to see Josh Sargent... In terms of productivity, and and he'll never get a better chance. It was uh, an horrendous miss. It really was. A, as Conor said during the game, it's almost like he's he's focused so much on just trying to get the ball on target. He's not hit it with a requisite pace, and whether that's a lack of concentration, whether it betrays a guy who is almost snatched at that opportunity as his eyes lit up. But um, as somebody I saw on social media put after the game, you know, an eight million pound striker should be able to roll the ball into an empty net from twenty yards. So. Not good. Not a good look for that man. And uh, big question marks remain about can he score the goals Norwich need to to get them out of the situation they're in?
0: Yeah, it was... He had so much time that he could have pretty much run it towards goal and then finished it. He didn't need to take it anywhere near as quickly as he did, did he? Let alone make such poor contact. And the concern with him will be for such a high-profile miss, that is the Premier League for you, isn't it? Social media is going to be full of sort of ridicule for him, which he's going to have to do his best to ignore. And they're really going to have to get an arm around him and, and protect him and, and make sure that he uh, feels appreciated because it, it can, it's got the potential to have a bit, of, a bit of a psychological knock for him, isn't it? Particularly, Connor, at, at the start of the second half, he then gets another big chance, doesn't he, when Pookie plays him through and he just dawdles too long on the ball.
2: Yeah, and it's it's worth noting as well that his his place in his international team as well is is under sort of conversation. He was left out of the last USA team, for example. I know they wanted to go with perhaps a more American core, but but even so, that that doesn't necessarily help his confidence heading heading into this one. It wasn't a particularly great performance at, at Burnley, as we discussed. Although it was a lot better today. Ultimately, people are going to as, as we are going to end up talking about. The miss and and again it was it was not just that one there was one in in the second half that that you referenced where just got the touch all wrong and um, seems to kind of personify Norwich at the moment a lot of energy and endeavour but doesn't really look like scoring a goal and and that's um, that's an issue if we if we're going to talk so much about taking the goal scoring burden off of Timo Pukki in in the Premier League they need to do that they still aren't able to do that. Then we're going to be looking at players like Josh Sargent, um, Adam Eder. We could go on, but players like that to to chip in and help out when they can. And as Pad said, he's not going to get a better opportunity than that in the Premier League to to open his account. And um, why he's well, we, we we can all replay, replay it and ask questions. Why hasn't he done this? Why hasn't he done that? But um, it it just to me looked like a a player. Really devoid of a lot of confidence in front of goal at the moment, and and he's he's probably a bit like Norwich generally. To be fair, if if he can get a goal and uh, and maybe a win in 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 his uh, or under his belt, rather than then we could see him really go. But it's now the fear of what that miss could do in the opposite direction, and and the hit it could have on his confidence and his performances. So yeah, hopefully they can nurture him in 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 the the week to come. Obviously it's Chelsea next weekend again, so it's a pretty thankless task that he's he's going to have at Stamford Bridge. Uh, if he if he is selected, um, you can just hope that there's a, a suitable response. Because overall, I felt as uh, again as, as Pat, Pat hit the nail on the head. I thought first half everything else he did was was excellent, but it's not enough to justify your your place in the team as a striker. As as he will well know, he, I'm, I'm sure he's not naive. So yeah, very disappointing. And um, in the context of the game, uh, a massive moment. But uh, again, more so for for where Norwich City are at the moment, because uh, a win would change the complexion, I think, of, of everything that we're, we're talking about and the mood and the feeling, and the belief around the club. I mean, we, we spoke about the good atmosphere. Um, it just feels like this these fans are crying out for a win and a little bit of belief to get their teeth stuck into. Well, if Josh Sargent would have scored that and Norwich City would have won this game 1-0, then um, I, I think we'd all be looking ahead to the next few weeks with a lot more positivity than than maybe we are at the moment where we're probably in a bit of a state of uh, of conflict.
0: Yeah when I did my ratings and my video verdict after the game, I said that if he'd have scored, he probably would have been an eight out of 10. But I knocked him down to a six out of 10, despite the fact that his general play deserved better than that, because those two moments were just, you're a striker that's what you get measured on but I did think that the crowd again were very supportive of him when he was substituted what was that uh, 76 minute Rashica came on for him and I thought that was a pretty good reception he got as he went off there wasn't uh, any sort of uneasiness to it so yeah this it's a real test for him for a young man uh, to keep his mental strength and bounce back from from high profile disappointment uh, but I'm sure that they will get their arm around him this week and really try to make sure that he feels supported and stuff because that's that's what he's going to need Clearly, um, let's look at the positives then. Um, for me, Pad Man of the Match went to Pierre Lise Malou, who I thought had his best game in a Norwich shirt. Thought he was pretty tenacious. Looked box to box. Looked more like the sort of player we were expecting. Did he take your Man of the Match?
1: No, I'd probably favour Norman until he went off. I just thought he, he he's almost he's almost the heartbeat of this side now, and it's it's testament to that man. In so few games that, you know, maybe contrasted there we've just discussed. Sergeant came in a little bit after him, but still one of the summer intake and it's t- conceivably looking at his performance levels, it's taken him no time to a gel and bed into this Norwich team and become an intrinsic part of it. But also the Premier League, you know, he in a side which are struggling to to certainly put wins on the board. He 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 looks at home every every time he's been on the pitch in a Norwich shirt. He doesn't look out of place in the Premier League and. I think you'd have to feel already that if Norwich are not able to turn it around and find themselves back in the championship, he won't be with them. Because it, bear in mind, it's it's a loan with a view to, and um, I think it's safe to say if Norwich go down, he won't be staying. But I can conceivably see plenty of other Premier League clubs queuing up to take that man. If he can maintain this level of performance, he's just well, it's his. You know, it's everything. It's quality passing you know his range of passing as well um, the drive the energy the combativeness as well um, you just hope you'd hope he, his, his body would hold up and he could last 90 minutes because again he's come off but thankfully with what just sounded like cramps in both calves Daniel said towards the end of the game um, having not trained for 10 days over the international period had to pull out of Norway's World Cup qualifiers with a, a, was it um, an abdominal issue wasn't yeah. it yeah um, and that's the only sort of Negative, really, about him in a in a Norwich shirt so far is that he's not, for various reasons, not able to last the pace. Because I think when he's on the pitch, there's no doubt Norwich look a, a far better, cohesive unit. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't disagree. I thought Lee Malou uh, looked very good. There was a you know his reading of the game on the edge of his own box a couple of times where he broke up Brighton counters was excellent. Um, McLean, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. You know most most weeks, um, thankfully, he's kind of those individual mistakes that prove so costly earlier in the season, looked to be a little behind him at the minutes anyway. So there is an energy and an endeavour from him. But I just think in the context of a team who are struggling to score goals, that three still, for me, isn't offering enough in terms of the creative side of the game. Um, And it's not just down to those three. There's obviously the whole wider debate about the base formation and maybe more of a focus back towards defensive set-up. Um, But... I think for me Norman is a shoe in if he's thirty he plays and I'd still think, you know, Gilmore has to be in the debate. Um maybe less so, but but it just feels as a three it isn't quite functioning as it needs to to be able to give Norwich what they need going forward. I, I think defensively, two clean sheets would indicate that they're doing a lot of things right now as a as a unit without the ball, but um put it this way if there was three Matthias Normans in that midfield then <laughs> yeah. you'd be very happy wouldn't you because you, you get in the, the drive and the go, go forward momentum as well but um, sadly there's only one so they just need to keep him fit keep him healthy because he already looks to be a very integral part of Norwich and what they're trying to do this season
0: at the moment, he's nailed on player of the season. Isn't he? He's just looking uh, an excellent uh, bit of recruitment, and we'll come back round to Gilmore because, of course, he can't play against Chelsea next week. And um, we'll we'll discuss his situation. Um, but top man for 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 you, Conor?
2: Yeah, I probably go with Norman as well. I think, and and I felt for portions of that game, forget Norwich. I thought he looked like the best player on the pitch. Um, to, to be honest, and. Again, we're, we're, we're looking at four games now um, that he's probably been Norwich's best player in all of them. And I, and I think it's it's not just what he's doing, it's, it's, it's what his quality is doing to Norwich as a whole, because I think he's improving players around him. You mentioned Lace Malou, who I'd agree I thought was, was probably had his best game for for Norwich so far. Um, Kenny McLean, a lot of energy just makes that a little bit more solid. And I think we're we're probably at a stage now where they can... They can, I think they'll probably adopt a similar approach for Chelsea, and and, and rightly so, and then thereafter you, you'd like to see them just play with it a little bit and see if they can add a little bit at the top end of the pitch and maybe evolve this uh, 3-5-2 and maybe, maybe to a, a 3-4-3, because I think we from what we've seen of Mateus Norman, there's enough there to suggest that he can offer the protection that Norwich City need and, and also the range of passing as well, but um, Pads right, uh, uh, what he said earlier on the sergeant and pookie combination uh, again looked looked to have some. There was something there, there was potential there, but it's it's just about sort of joining the dots now and and, and getting that balance right, and that's the hardest thing to do for any team at this level. Um, you can you can ask Sean Dyche, Graham Potter spoken about it before. You, you, you try and open up one end, and you perhaps leave your back door open, but you try and shut the back door, and uh, and then you can you can get a bit too fussed up front, so. It's a it's a very difficult job that Daniel Farquhar has got now to balance that, but Mateus Norman is going to be key because I think he's he's proven that he's good enough for that three to become a two. And then Norwich can maybe begin to add some attacking elements. And uh, I think if you were probably going to look at that too at the moment um, on, on today's performances, you'd say Norman and... And Lise Malou. And then you'd probably look to try and get a Kieran Dowell or Todd Campwell um, in there for, for creativity purposes if you're to persist with this free, and maybe look to push one on. Or if you are to play a 3-4-3, a then maybe you could look to uh, Rashidza and Jollis or uh, Dowell or Campwell. You can look to get a couple of more of these players in who um, maybe turn the the three or four good opportunities Norwich City had into two or three goals and uh, because that's what's needed at the moment. And... Um, ultimately, we can we can sit here and talk about clean sheets and how positive it is, and it is given the context of of the opening seven games, six games of the season, where they lost all of them, and were far too open, didn't look strong enough, didn't look defensively sound enough. I think Norman's the key to 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 Norwich City really progressing, and uh, and it looks like now the foundations have have been built, and it's going to be about what they can do at the top end of the pitch. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's going to be the key to it and it's, it's just keeping him fit now because he's he's played, what, 190 minutes in, in four matches and if they can do that, then they've got a, a very capable Premier League midfielder.
0: Yeah, let's just hope those sore calves don't protect him from training, uh, prevent him from training for a few days this week because uh, they're certainly going to need him at Chelsea. And I do feel like him and Lise Malou have probably got the potential to be that midfield too if you're going to go to a 3-4-3 three, three, and then... Um, you know, maybe have Rashidza and and Cantwell or whoever in support of Puki. Um, we shall see how that develops. But if if we look at the back three, I mean, a good day for Tim Cruel. Generally, it's worth saying you mentioned it earlier, didn't you? Kind of the, um, uh, Trossard volley, which he just gets fingertips on to make sure it goes on to the bar, um, and also a good save from Lalana in the first half. Another clean sheet for him. So so Tim will be, uh. Happy, particularly as he's lost his place in the, in the Holland team. He's going <laughs> to really need to impress in the Premier League to have any chance of that. But the back three pad, I think Gibson's looking more like himself. It certainly is suiting Hanley in the middle, isn't it? He's getting through a lot of work at the minute. And I think Kapak is growing game by game. So I just, you know, Farka's stuck with an unchanged 11 and 18 today. I, I can't see him going away from that back three anytime soon at all. Certainly not at Chelsea, obviously.
1: No, that looks set fair now, um, and that was that was the drive set by him post Watford and how poor a result that that was that they had to get better defensively and the route is taken so far um, because Everton really didn't create a huge amount. Yes, they lost the game, but that was individual errors. So yeah. you could even hinge Everton onto Burnley and now Brighton. That that three, I'd agree. I thought Hanley was good again today. He'd pick of the three for me. Um, come back, went wandering a little bit and. Little bit of ball watching, but there was one incident in the second half actually, which underlined what the three gives you. And and Cabac caught, I think, Trossard run off the back of him, and there was Hanley mopping up behind him, snuffing out the danger. So Gibson looks far better because I think he's less exposed. That sort of lack of pace that we saw most graphically in the home game against Leicester. I think he's got his rhythm back a bit as well now, hasn't he? Yeah, and the injury that he talked about—you know—it took him a while clearly to get over that and get back up speed. Just having that confidence in your body Mm -hmm. ultimately, isn't it? And he'll have had the self-doubts about is he able to play at this level, given how poor the experience went for him at Burnley previously. So, yeah, I'm liking those three. Obama Daly's getting a lot of game time in the Republic now, so you know he he has to be still in the equation for me. Uh, If any of those three drop their levels, still a very young, inexperienced defender, but if you start regularly for your country and World Cup qualifiers, surely you have to be, you know, at least in the conversation. And then I'm really liking, actually, the two now, uh, the wing-backs, if you want to call them that. thought you knew this was very good again today. Um, and, and not just going forward, there was one or two occasions early in the second half, he, he got himself out quickly, I think it was Moda, uh, and it was an excellent block, just on the edge of his own box. Com- completely clear to, to anyone watching that game now that, he looks a lot better in a three or, or a five if you want to say that as Graham Potter suggested that it was a five and Norwich set up with
0: mm. Max actually referred to it as a five as well think, yeah, right? yeah well
1: it's, yeah I mean certainly a five when Brighton were on top and they got pinned across the width of their own box but you know for Janoulis particularly playing in a three slash five as opposed to a back four um, for me it's transformational because he's got that added insurance behind him of Gibson on his side and um, that he can go forward he can and of course if you're talking about him or Brandon Williams, just that natural width to have a left-sided player, um, makes such a difference rather than Brandon Williams, right-footed player playing on the left-hand side, wants to cut in all the time. Um, so if they, if they persist with that, then for me, I don't see him changing that five, including Karrul, um, six, uh, anytime soon. Um, and why would they, you know, if you're getting back, back-to-back clean sheets in the Premier League, that's, that's a notable feat. So, um, that should give them the foundations to, as we've already discussed in this pod, um, to then start to embellish that and then try and tweak and tinker in order to get more creativity and obviously more potency in terms of the top end of the pitch. But much better situation now than you know four or five games in where it was just like, well, they can't score goals and they can't keep them out. At least, albeit still a small sample, but at least it feels like They've come up with the right answers in terms of keeping the ball out of their own net, and if you've got if you're going into games and, and you, you've got that confidence that you can go into games at this level and keep clean sheets, it doesn't half give you a chance of getting something at the the other end of the pitch, and uh, that's what he asked for after Watford, and so far on that particular facet, you'd have to say they've delivered.
0: Oh yeah, this this game was just incomparable to the Watford performance, wasn't it? So so much better. I know, I know people aren't excited by a nil nil, and there are going to be some people frustrated that they maybe didn't go for it more in attacking terms. But I think that's underestimating how good Brighton are. I think they are significantly better than Burnley, and probably better than than Watford as well. You know, Watford got smashed five nil by Liverpool today. Although Liverpool are motoring, particularly Mo Salah is. Probably the best player in the world at the moment, isn't he? But to to carry on that thought process, then because second half particular, I thought Max was much better, and and I'd agree, you knew this was good. But if you're to move that to, all right, so, so maybe we should be referring to it as a five-three-two now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so if we're then referring to it as uh, a three-four-three, three, then the two attackers who are going to be in support of Pookie. If it's Jollis and Rashica, for instance, they're not really going to be wingers, are they? Because they, you've got your and Aaron's providing the, the width. So that makes you then think, could Gilmore go in there? We've seen McLean play further forward. Certainly, Campwell and Dowell, it suits them. But can it suit Rashidza and, and Jollis?
2: I think so. I mean, I mean Norwich did it to well to great success last season albeit in the championship but they had Campwell and, and Buendia essentially playing as, as as wingers if you want to label it like that but they weren't wingers essentially mm, they were they were, yeah. they were two number tens weren't they playing in in wide positions and and, and they played close to Puki and, and that allowed Norwich still to retain their fullbacks um, width and height um, uh, and so you're essentially taking that bit of what made their attack so successful last season and adding it to the foundation that they've got this season and if they can do that and make it work and get the balance right and ensure that they still have a foothold in midfield and are still battling and Norman and Nils and Malou certainly um, seem to offer them that, then I think you'd, you'd say there, and I think most people would agree at this stage, that that is a formula for something that could be potentially quite exciting, but also add the efficiency that Daniel Fark has spoken about in both boxes because... I think there's an argument now with Grant Hanley. We saw a couple of uh, of decent blocks from, from Kabak, good moments again from Gibson, who I'd agree, I think those three are, are really getting better and, and will continue to get better the more they, they play together. Um, if you can replicate that at the top end of the pitch now, um, then I think Norwich are, are on course to do something that that could make them a lot better and, and, and could th- see them take a stride towards being a better Premier League team and uh, I reference it to you guys after the game it just it it just feels like they're always going to improve and they probably will even get better from here it's just a case of if that happens quick enough and we've already spoken about points gaps and kind of what the state of the league is at at the stage where they start getting points on the board because um, people had similar debates about Fulham last year when they started very poorly um, and then were kind of in a position where they began to improve. Then after Christmas, looked very good, but ultimately still got relegated. So um, it's it's an interesting one because Daniel Farker will know that clean sheets and and nil-nil draws aren't going to be enough to keep them in the Premier League. They have to add an attacking edge. And it's just about how they do that without losing what they've got. But I suppose at this stage, he's got a formula now with this formation that he knows, Okay, well... If he does try at some stage to open it up a little bit and it doesn't work, he's got something that he can go back to that he knows at least makes them competitive for large portions of games. Um, but pads right when, when they're playing the way they are and it's so low margin in, in theory that should mean that their attacking threat or or uh, lack of, kind of works in their favour because you essentially need one chance like like the sergeant one that we've spoken about today that would have been enough to win the game probably, so. It's a, it's really difficult at this level because you try and do one thing and, and it can expose you at the other. But I think you've got to give credit to Daniel Farker. I mean, we, we spoke about that Watford game and, and we sat here and said they've, they've got to tighten up. They've got to get better defensively. Well, they've done that. So now he's got to prove he can do it at the other end as well.
0: Yeah, um, could you just have a look how Chelsea are getting on because they're playing as they we're recording. Nil. They won one yes. nil against Brentford, right? Okay, so things keep league, yeah. motoring along, top of the league. I mean, we'll come back to Chelsea in a minute because I just wanted to ask what you thought of the penalty call pad in the first half. Malpey goes down. I think it's cruel, which actually makes the contact rather than Hanley, isn't it? Uh, from, from I haven't actually watched it back yet, but at the time it seemed more to me like he was already going down when the contact happened with Krull. Isn't that your reading?
1: Yeah, well, I think when I saw the replays, he, he took another couple of steps as well. Now, if, you, if you're going down, you don't go down in instalment. So the referee clearly, is in real time, has given a goal kick. So that tells you what he thought of it. Graham Potter, Brighton manager, asked about that after the game, and I think it was words along the lines of very difficult for VAR to overrule that decision, which I took to be quite a diplomatic, um, would have been a very soft concession if if Norwich had uh, coughed up a penalty in that scenario. So. Yeah, there might have been a little bit of uh, but but not enough. Clearly, it, it, certainly in the eyes of the VAR officials to overrule. So, um, yeah, if you draw a parallel between that and obviously Kabak's high foot on Alan at, at Goodison Park, it um, was never going to get turned over. That. So, um, yeah, and Krull's reaction that sort of told you what he thought of uh, Malpai's uh, dying swan act. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that the right decision was reached. Welcome. To the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson.
0: Welcome to Wade Norfolk.
1: Welcome to this
0: week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City Podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, let's talk Billy Gilmore then, because we are going to be looking ahead to Chelsea. So we are going to be building up to a very difficult game. Uh, Champions League winners, they've been fantastic under Tuchel, haven't they? They've been playing three at the back a lot. They've got, you know, players on the Ballon d'Or shortlist, Jorginho, Kante. Oh, they've got unbelievable depth of riches, haven't they? Um, strangely enough, that lad who was on loan at Ipswich has come into it, hasn't he? Trevo yeah. Um, One of whom, of course, is at Norwich City and uh, impressing for Scotland. Against Israel and Faro and the Faroe Islands, it should be said. Um, Pad, we saw Billy Gilmore's face when Lucas Rupp got the call, didn't we? To come on for Norman when he was struggling with, with cramp, um, and he didn't look best pleased. I mean, Lucas Rupp isn't really gaining too many fans at the moment, is he? Because he gave the ball away again when he came on. He didn't do very well when he came on at Burnley either, did he? So, but let's let's not get into the Lucas Rupp debate. Where do you see Billy Gilmore's situation? Because Daniel Farker didn't take too kindly to suggestions that he should be in the Norwich team at the pre-match press conference because he said, well, he has had a lot of game time.
1: Well, in the round, he has. I mean, he was playing pretty much every game in that very very difficult start for Norwich. But if you actually drill down and not just look at the minutes against his name in a Norwich shirt, you know, those games, he was being asked to do jobs that that's not Billy Gilmore's game you know defensive midfielder trying to rat and win the ball back against Man City Liverpool Leicester good luck you know even even a Kante dropped into that scenario in a Norwich is going to struggle and that is his specialist position so I think he was sold sold a, a very raw deal there but that was the scenario because they hadn't, they hadn't done the deal obviously for Matthias Norman at that stage now they have we've talked about it already on this pod you know Norman is the man now and um, it's fitting players around him and you know if Farker is blanching, I wasn't in the press conference on Friday. Um, if he did bristle, uh, you know about Gilmore's lack of activity. Um, but reality is, I, I I think that could be one of the intriguing elements of Farker's next evolution in terms of what he's doing this season with this Norwich setup. If he can, if he can harness what Gilmore does give you, and clearly does in a Scotland shirt, whatever the level of opposition, you know he's winning rave reviews every time he pulls on the Scotland shirt in these last two international breaks. From from club business, so and the fact he's uh, he's coming through at Chelsea, as we've just reeled off there. You, you know, if you're if you're anything to do with Chelsea's first team, you're a player and you know what you're doing. You're so, a baller, pad You're a baller, to <laughs> use Daniel's terminology. So I think that's the, that's the that's the slight contradiction here is that the hype that was around this guy when he swept into to Norwich in the summer after his Euros display, notably against England, and now he's Reduced to you know prowling a touch line and and maybe having the hump when Lucas Rupp is getting a better better of him and getting the call um it doesn't quite stack up at the minute and um and that and in that in the context of Norwich struggling to win games of football that's going to continue to be the case because you've got this precious material in Farker's grasp and um seemingly he's not getting the best out of it yet but I think at the risk of repeating what we're already saying here you know there's an evolutionary process underway now and and the focus clearly for Farker and his coaching team in recent weeks and games has been defensively and without the ball. And if that's where the focus is, and ultimately Gilmore, as he proved to his detriment in those first games, without the ball, not going to offer you too much. So if they can now get to a position of comfort as a coaching unit that they feel they have the the, the without-the-ball side of it, more often than not, at least competitive in the Premier League, Now is Gilmore part of the solution in terms of the creativity? And I think he has to be in the debate because, you know, as I say, a player who's got a Champions League winning medal, however much actual you know involvement he had in that, he's a Champions League winner. There's not too many of them in Norwich's squad. So there has to be, in the right environment against the right opponent, in the right midfield mix, surely there has to be a place for Billy Gilmore. Daniel now has to find him a place. And if he doesn't, then you can conceivably see a scenario where Tuchel's on the phone um, approaching the January window and they're getting him back because they didn't send him to Norwich to sit on the bench when he's been sat on the bench a lot of the time at Chelsea. So we are now getting to a bit of a tipping point, I think, in terms of Billy Gilmore and Norwich because, you know, isn't a huge amount of games left between now and January. And if his situation doesn't change, maybe you see a mutual situation where we they decide as happened with Patrick Roberts previously on, on loan from Man City that it's in everybody's best interest for him to go back to Chelsea and that would be a huge shame because you just feel how Farker likes to set up the type of midfielder he likes Billy Gilmore should be perfect for him we all, we've we all seen the type of midfield players that Daniel likes to incorporate in his Norwich teams down the years um, and really Billy Gilmore should be tailor-made but at the minute for reasons we've already stated that isn't the case but I, I do hope that there is a place for him because I just think in the right setting, developing what you boys were saying earlier about you've got Jollis, you've got Rashica, you've got Canwell, you've got Dowell, you've got Gilmore. Surely there is a formula going forward that can accommodate the gifts of all of those players to the extent where Norwich could be far more potent than they are at the minute. And um, ultimately there's one man who has to unpick that equation and that's Daniel Farker. So, um I think if we take anything from what he said on Friday, his passionate defence, he still very much believes in Billy Gilmore as a football player and that he can be of use to him. But at the minute, it's hard to see. Certainly, he's not going to obviously come in. He'll be ineligible against his parent club next week. So that's another week, another game that ticks by. And it is really very hard to see him maybe coming in anytime soon thereafter. So I don't quite see what the path is to Billy Gilmore coming back into Norwich's first team. But something needs to change.
0: No, and it makes you concerned that we're heading towards a Harry Kane, Patrick Bamford situation then, doesn't it? Where, um, you know, Kane obviously went back to Spurs and then I think it was Leicester he had a success with after that, wasn't it? And Bamford ended up in the Championship the next season with Middlesbrough after his time with Norwich. And I think Gilmer would clearly be tearing up in the Championship. Is he the player that Norwich need in the middle of a relegation battle? That's what we uh, are, are finding out at the moment. But, um for me, there was no debate in in terms of ahead of the Burnley game. McLean kept his place ahead of Gilmore. I I didn't see that that was even of real consideration. And all right, McLean didn't do anything too spectacular today, but his energy and the work that he gets through, he is a, a we we all have heard from Daniel Farker previously, haven't we, about how much he values him as a team player and sort of being the glue in in a team almost. So let me put you on the spot, Connor. If if Gilmore was available against Chelsea, which he isn't against his parent club. Would you be bring be, be bringing him in for McLean based off the back of today? Um, because I don't think I would.
2: No, I'd agree. No, I'd agree. I, I wouldn't. And and Pat's right. It's it's so difficult at the moment, particularly when Mateus Norman is going down with cramp and Lucas Rupp's getting the call and Billy Gilmore isn't. That's a very difficult situation to to see how he repairs that and bridges that gap and gets to a stage that. He's in Norwich's midfield, and I made this point in the week. You know, I just wonder whether Norwich are at a stage at the moment themselves where they can't really they can't really carry a player like Billy Gilmore in their side at the moment because of the focus on the defensive aspects and and what they've needed to do and uh, and he's he's clearly not in in that picture and and he hasn't contributed to these foundations that we've seen being built and it, it feels like if you're Daniel Farker at the moment um, as much as we're kind of talking about adding attacking elements. We're probably not really talking about changing the personnel in midfield too much, and it's probably about one of those three dropping out rather than adding another one, and it becomes very difficult. Then you're almost forcing Billy Gilmore into a two, based on what he's doing for Scotland and on reputation rather than what he's done for Norwich City so far. Um, if if we're if we're kind of talking about a a three four three, so yeah, I I find I I find it very difficult. To foresee how he's gonna get himself back in the picture, unless there's some injuries or um, a situation that that pops up from a certain game that maybe he's suited to, but and as Paddy said, it's it's a tremendous shame because you can you can imagine him in the Norwich City side last season. It'd have been tremendous. It'd have been tremendous to watch. And um, as as you rightly say, he's he's far too good for the for the championship. So. Then you're probably looking at, well, where else in the Premier League can he play? And maybe there's an argument to say, well, he's a player that can only really play at top clubs because he needs to be in a side that dominates the ball and um, where he can he can put his stamp on it. And I mean, we, we saw it, um, probably the, the, his best outing in Norwich was the was the half against Liverpool, wasn't it? In, in the cup game where he was very positive yeah. and there was that spell that Norwich City had where they got on the front foot and that was largely because of his work in possession. Well, he's not played a minute since then, so... It's very difficult at this moment in time to see how you've slot Billy Gilmore back in given Lace Malou's performance today, given what Mateus Norman has done since he's come in, given all that Daniel Fark has said about Kenny McLean, I just don't see it at this moment in time. And I don't see how they without shoehorning him in somewhere that that wouldn't be comfortable and wouldn't be beneficial to the team if Norrie stick with this formula and if they go in the direction that, that we think they may be they may be going into, I don't see a place for Billy Gilmore.
0: No, it's uh, and I don't think we expected to be saying that, did we? But maybe it's just too early in his career for this kind of a move for him. We shall see because there's no doubt that the lad has got a huge amount of talent, and technically he he probably will end up being a top player, as Kane and Bamford both proved to be eventually as well. Um, so very interesting, uh, and he's going to have to. Uh, stick out his chest really and, and force his way in front of McLean or Lisa Malou as, as things stand unless maybe Norman has an injury or there's an injury opening for him but the next time he gets the opportunity he's really got to take it and, and start putting some of those um, doubts to the back of people's minds um, we shall see and I, I, I'm sure uh, Tuchel and Farkle will be having a, a glass of wine or a, some coffee and cake perhaps after the game at Stamford Bridge and it will be a topic of conversation and maybe even they'll include Gilmore in that Uh, Chat, but um, we shall see. Let's finish the pod on the strikers. Really, obviously, we have talked about Sargent uh, in in terms of his the negative aspects of today. But I thought him and Pookie, their link play was far far better than it was at Burnley. But it is four games without a goal now. If you include the Liverpool Cup match uh, when Jolus, of course, uh, missed that penalty just before half time. Um, How different things could maybe have been if he hadn't have shown that. uh, naivety. Uh, he's not played a great deal since then, has he? Really? Um, Pookie goes away, breaks the Finland record. Finally, he'd gone seven games without a goal for his country, but three in two games during the break, which is a great achievement for him, and he should add. A fair few more to that. You'd have thought before he stops playing for Finland, he's still only 31. So he should be able to really solidify that record. And overall today, Pad, I thought he was um, I thought he was pretty good. Although there were less high profile, but there were two misses, weren't there? He puts one just wide. Um, and OK, maybe not a miss, but when at Malou sent him clean through in the first half, he, he tried to get Sargent in rather than shoe, didn't he? But overall, probably his... Best performance
1: of this season, maybe Watford in the mix because he's got a good goal that day. That was an excellent goal, and, and and that goal was was for me certainly harder than some of the chances he got. You know, mm. I think of the the Aaron slip pass when he's basically again similar scenario, not exactly the same position on the pitch, but the keeper to beat, and, um, and he's trying to clip it and put it in the side net. And there was another chance as well late on. I think it might be Rashida putting through, and uh, seemed to. Daly, just that fraction you, you can't do in the Premier League, and uh, invited Dan Byrne, I think it was, to come, course, come yeah. through and make that sliding tackle, um, and the Ray, his teammates, sort of went to congratulate him. That was they felt maybe a match-saving tackle, and uh, yeah, not to the same marked extent as the Sergeant miss, but but again, lots of positive things in his performance, uh, both individually and as a collective unit, but you know we sat here again as we were after burnley as we were after everton and they've played together and they haven't scored a goal so you know ultimately it doesn't just fall on the shoulders of of the strikers in this team to to get them scoring but they they are in the side principally to score goals and uh you know that won't insulate you know going away and doing what he did for finland and 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 coming back very confident you could kind of see that in his general play there was a freedom i thought to a lot of what he was doing in the first half and uh yeah, if you take away the most important element of what you would judge a striker from, then those two played very well this afternoon. But um, if Sargent isn't going to be scoring goals, then that places an even greater burden on, on Timu Puki. So he, he needs to be taking one or two of those chances he had today, really. And that is the difference. Ultimately, you know, Daniel talked about it efficiency in both boxes. At this level, you're not going to get the quantity of chances they get in the football league every other week if you're team with Puki and that's whether you've got an Emmy Buendia in your team or not. It's not going to happen. You're playing against better defenders, better teams, better coaches, better defensive setups. So when you do get the level of chance they got today, they have to take one or two of those goals. And, and to be fair, Daniel was was not hiding from that fact after the game. You know, At this level, the chances they created today, they, they should be scoring those goals. And if they don't then we all know where it ends and that's back in the championship. So, yep, for now, there's no doubt it'll be those two again at Chelsea because I think they showed enough. Um, And Chelsea probably can't really judge them because if it goes as we all think it probably will go, then they won't see too much of the ball, I don't think, and certainly won't have as many chances as they had today. But thereafter, you know, the game's coming up, they need to start firing. And if they don't, then... You know the clamor for Jolis the clamor for Rashica and maybe even Ida to an extent will will grow and grow and grow you know we had this with Timu two seasons ago you know what he'd done heroic stuff that he'd done in the championship didn't insulate him from you know criticism and and ultimately Daniel pulling him out of the firing line and putting Josip Dermich in now obviously that didn't that move didn't work in the final analysis but by no measure, measure of means is is that man bulletproof you know if he's not scoring goals at Premier League level. Um, he won't be in the side, but it is worth reiterating he's the only man who has scored for Norwich in the Premier League, so I don't think the moment is upon us anytime soon where he's coming out of the side. I think if if it's going to be one of those two come out of the side, it'll be Sargent, but for now, Daniel seems to be very happy with what they're giving him generally, but much like Norwich, they just need to add the final elements, really, and that could be the difference between really having a competitive go at staying up or going rather meekly.
0: Yeah, they need to find the next gear collectively, don't they? And Mm -hmm. as we sit here today, Conor, if anyone's going to score a goal for Norwich, it's probably Matthias Norman, but (laughs) no, Mm -hmm. it's it's Timo Pukki, isn't it? If you're talking in terms of the strikers and... Um, a penny for Adam Eder's thoughts, perhaps, because he's ha- he's having a bit of a frustrating time of it at the moment, isn't he? Club and country wise, and he only comes on in the 90th minute. Rashits is the man that comes on for Sergeant in the 76th minute. He's not really getting many opportunities to show what he can do. But um, yeah, I guess he, he he's just got to be patient. But equally, he hasn't scored, has he?
2: No, and it, it feels like we're kind of in the same position with Adamida that we were in two years ago, where it kind of feels like he's in a in kind of a halfway house, being. Probably too good to send out on on loan because obviously Norwich need him just just for numbers really up front, but not good enough to displace Timo Puki. And I think you'd have liked to have seen a little bit of movement at least in in the two years that followed. But certainly the pecking order at the moment. I mean, he was third choice two years ago for large parts of that season behind Puki and Dermitch. Um, two years on, he's he's behind Puki and, and Sargent this time around. So. For him, I would imagine he's probably feeling a little bit stuck at the moment because, um, and yeah, you're, you're right, he's absolutely not getting helped by giving two minutes at the end of a Premier League game. I mean, what can any player do in in two minutes, really? It's, it's a very difficult situation to be thrown into. Um, it just feels like he needs a goal, he needs something, he needs a cameo. But then if he's not getting those opportunities, similarly to Gilmore, really, it's it's very hard to see what he can do to force his way into the side. Um He's still very raw i think we saw against uh, against liverpool in the cup the, the elements of his game that still need to be worked on um, and it just it, it just feels like everything's passing him by a little bit at the moment which is a tremendous shame because again we all know the talent that that he has and the amount the sheer amount of goals he scored at youth team level so i don't really know what the solution is because in, in january do they do they go and send him out on loan but then they probably need another body in and if they were if that was to be a permanent option which given all their loan spots are filled at the moment it would probably have to be then you're looking really at him getting pushed even further down the pecking order so um it's tough it's tough and I don't really see what the answer is with Vadim but I would imagine if we still if we reach next summer and he hasn't played an awful amount of football this season he might be knocking on the door and saying look what What's what's actually the plan for me here? Because I'm I'm not I'm not getting enough game time to develop, and uh, you're not sending me out on loan. So what am I supposed to do? Because I'm getting I'm getting a little bit stuck in the background, and football careers are short. And he's um, he's sort of spending a key part of it sitting on the bench and, and not getting very many minutes for Norwich City. So it's it's difficult to really see what what he can do in in, in this situation.
0: Yep, lots of interesting angles. Um... I don't know I feel after that chat like normal after after a game when we come and record a pod quite fresh from the game you know it gets stuff off your chest a little bit and stuff. I feel a little bit more more positive even than than I did after the game we we we've, we've had a we've pointed that there's enough Positives and, and things are moving in the, the right direction. That almost the mission this week now is about surviving Chelsea, getting getting out of there. You know, battling, really digging in, doing everything. You know, look, look. I haven't seen the highlights and stuff today, but Burnley only lost two 0 at Man City today. And as we know, if those big boys turn up like Man City did, they can give you a good spanking. And Burnley have had it against Man City and Liverpool and stuff before, and we all know how tough Burnley are. If they can just survive Stamford Bridge, with obviously if they get anything out of it, it will be a huge bonus and a huge um, addition to, to things at the moment. But if they can just get through that with some of this positivity and the constructive stuff moving forward, heading into the Leeds and Brentford game, then hopefully they'll be in a decent place to to get one win from those two games because they they, they really do need to win one of those two games because... You go into the November international break. And yes, there are some more winnable games afterwards. Southampton and Wolves at home, particularly if they haven't got at least one win once they've got those two games out of the way. And we're in December as well. Then, of course, we all know which way things are heading. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Loads of pinkin'.com, of course, as usual. Interview with Max Aarons from after the game. As I mentioned, the Josh Sargent player watch, Paddy's pointers. There'll be the six things, pads verdict, all the usual stuff to uh, fully uh, analyse this nil-nil draw. Thank you for listening. Do let us know what you thought of the game as well. If you ever want to get in contact with us, then we are on. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at The Pinken. Uh, we're also on TikTok now, Adam tells me. Um, so I, I, I'm not on TikTok, so I, I haven't checked that out properly. But if Tom, you are... Connor
1: said he was going to do some dancing No, reels. no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I said
2: if Norwich win the Premier League, then you'll get no, the dancing no, on that. No, it was no, winning the, winning the Premier absolutely League. Absolutely not, no. No, not a chance. No. <laughs> no one will want to see that,
1: trust me. Uh, let's get the campaign going on here. <laughs> Anybody want to see Connor on TikTok, give us a message. The Twitter.
0: If you're a TikTok user, then check it out. Um i'm sure it's good (laughs) um but we'll we'll trust adam to to build up that account um but yes by all means do get in contact with us if you've ever got any questions or comments um about the pod um but for now thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you soon